Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we wonder if quoting Michael Jackson is still too soon. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Asik crawls in search of blood to terrorize IAG's neighborhood. Yes, just when IAG thought its pricing promises nightmare was over, this one's going to be a thriller. I had a nightmare last night that I was stuck inside a snow globe. When I woke up, I was really shaken up. But at least I wasn't dreaming about Suncorp, ANZ, and the ACCC. To try and get back to sleep, I counted sheep. Then I had a nightmare about those sheep jumping over a fence. It was pretty bad. Is there a segue into the latest APRA stats? Nope, that's how really bad it is. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalist Benice Han, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, John. Morning. Can you remember your last nightmare? Yeah, I have a recurring nightmare, actually, where all my teeth fall out. I don't know what it means. Oh, wow. We could definitely unpack that one. Hi, Benice. <laughs> what about you? You want to get on the uh, psychologist chair and tell us about your recurring nightmares? I have been told a theory about having nightmares about teeth falling, but I'm not going to say it here. It might just freak John out. Yeah, so. <laughs> Am I dying? <laughs> this is the darkest intro we've ever done hello terry good morning answering my questions is your nightmare isn't it no actually i i did have a nightmare a year or so ago that is stuck very firmly in my mind and that was that i'd misquoted robert kelly and was paying for it well, and on that note good morning wendy Good morning, Andrew. It's a bit of a nightmare news this week all around. Well, there has been a nightmare for, for some of the insurers, yes. So, Wendy, just when IAG thought its pricing promises nightmare was over, it isn't. What's the latest ASIC court action about and how is it different to the last one? Well, this one involves the uh, SGIO, SGIC and RACV brands, and the previous one was to do with uh, NRMA. And this one also looks at different pricing and promotions issues for loyalty discounts. So in this case, um, ASIC alleges that factors like how long a customer had been with a brand and how many policies they held were used in an algorithm that assess their uh, sensitivity to higher renewal prices when setting an initial premium. Then, you know, after that initial premium, they calculated loyalty discounts. So the loyalty discounts were then applied and were advertised to customers. And they were also based on the length of time as a customer and, and whether they held multiple policies. So ASIC says loyal customers were being misled and might have thought they were getting a better deal than they actually were by staying put. We have to remember that IAG is defending this. They say they delivered on their uh, loyalty promises, and they don't agree that they might have misled customers about the extent of discounts they would receive. Well, they're coming back firm. We don't know yet exactly how IAG are going to fight this, Terry. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I might have, but I'm not silly enough to share them. This is the court case from hell on, on top of a series of court cases from hell for IAG. And I, I, it's like one of those awful comedies where you keep opening drawers and, and terrible things are, are contained within inside, inside that you had no idea about. Look, headlines about secret algorithms and a full-on attack from the ACCC, it's, it's horrible. I haven't totted up how many hundreds of millions IAG's paid out in the past few years for its subsidiary sins since the Hain Royal Commission, I guess. So, no, at this stage, I don't think I should comment, but thanks for that one, Andrew. Worth a try. Well, the latest APRA stats are out, Bernice. How is the industry tracking? 
Uh, the headline numbers look good. I mean, net profit up fivefold to 4.6 billion, and that's all due to a strong recovery in investment returns. But then if we look at uh, underwriting earnings, that's where it sort of shows the industry is uh, under uh, pressure. I mean, underwriting profit fell some 6% to 5.7 billion, and we can sort of see why. I mean, home insurance is still a loss-making line for the industry. I mean, the householders line lost about 205 million, and that's on top of the 199 million it lost the year before. So insurers have raised rates after last year's floods and other disasters. But keeping pace with rising claims costs, inflation and reinsurance is proving to be a hard task. I mean, uh, reinsurance um, expense have sort of eased a bit to 4.08 billion from 4.162 billion. But we can, we can see that insurers are recoveries from reinsurance have actually shrunk a lot, I mean, to 2.3 billion from 5.2 billion. So they're actually paying more for their reinsurance, but getting less bang for their buck. Yeah. All those premium rises, John, and the industry still can't make a profit on home insurance. No, and that, that's a worry, I think. As we've reported, we had the Actuaries Institute report recently on home insurance that said that premium rises were the, the biggest for, for 20 years. The average rise in the last year was, was 28%. And if that's the average, you can only imagine what the worst affected are facing. But obviously those rises are not enough for insurers to to make a profit on this line of business. So presumably premiums will have to go up even more, which means we could be heading for a crunch point where people have to stop buying home insurance because they can't afford it. And and that takes us down a pretty, a pretty tricky road. So yeah, there's some discussion to be had for sure about what, what happens next. I think this will get looked at as part of the government inquiry into last year's floods and the response to that. But yeah, there, there's a lot of questions around around home insurance at the moment, I think. We touched on this last week, John, but our analysis is an antidote to some rather harsh mainstream media criticism. Yes, that's right. So as we talked about last week, there was a piece in the Herald Sun which had a, had a go at the insurance industry. The headline was, our insurers are floody useless. And there was a panel, as we said last week, of insurance CEOs and their salaries and where they live. And they were sort of labelled the fat cats pocketing your premiums. So we've written a piece in defence of the industry, really. I mean, we're not, we're not saying there's no problems. Of course, there are, as we talk about every week. You know, last year's catastrophes really put the industry under a lot of pressure. And there have been some problems with, with communication during claims. Uh, there's issues with affordability, as we know. So we're not saying everything's perfect, but the industry is certainly not useless. You have to put these things into perspective. And when you look at the number of risks that the industry covers and also the number of claims that it pays out day in, day out, I think it really does. Uh, does It's a bit of an eye-opener, and it's the kind of statistics that the newspaper stories on, on negative claims outcomes never cover. So in 2022 alone, insurers paid out $36.5 billion in claims, which apparently works out to $147 million every working day. So yes, we hear about some that go wrong, but there are there are thousands of claims getting paid out all the time and and enabling people to get back on their feet after disaster or, or something that's gone wrong. So yeah, we've had some good response on LinkedIn already to this story. A lot of people saying, yeah, that's good to hear because um, people who work in the industry can get a bit fed up of getting bashed over the head all the time. Terry, could our industry do more to stick up for itself? It's a tough question, and there's no single answer. The world outside insurance, and yes, there is such a place, 
It, it associates insurance with cuddly personal lines ads with promises that they're cheap or more reliable or even now it seems just more laid back. You can only have one of those. Hardly anyone I, I meet from the outside world really understands the size, the, the sheer breadth of the insurance industry, the role it plays in pretty much everything. So the Insurance Council does a good job representing the industry as much as it can, and it's hard to get a fair hearing from the media at the best of times. So we have to work out our ways around the cyn- cynics if, if, if we're really interested in improving our image. There are options, and it's probably worth a podcast all on its own, Andrew. This is a, you know, it's a, a big, huge problem that's been around as long as I've been around this industry. Well, we thought this was coming, Wendy, but Suncorp has appealed against ACCC's decision to rule out the sale of its bank to ANZ. Yeah, both uh, Suncorp and ANZ have lodged appeals with the Australian Competition Tribunal, uh, which has the power to set aside or vary the ACCC decision. So they argue there's not likely to be an alternative sale to Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, and the ACCC has got it wrong on the competition issues it's raised. And they also want the tribunal to put more weight on the benefits from the sale, including from Suncorp being an insurance-focused company, and Suncorp gave commitments to Queensland on investments in a disaster recovery centre and more employment as as part of that proposed deal. So it's also warned that that would be affected if the bank sale to ANZ doesn't go ahead. Do you think this is a fight they can win, Terry? Well, look, most of the regional banks have either banded together or they've already been consumed by the, the big banks, which is Kind of Darwinism in action, isn't it? But we'll have to wait and see uh, how how the court really looks at it. I've noticed one aspect, though, Andrew, that, that has totally been missed by the, the pro-sale lawyers, and that's the official statement by the ACCC's deputy chair, Mick Keogh. Let me quote. He says, we are not satisfied that the acquisition is not likely to substantially lessen competition. Look, any statement containing two double negatives and in one sentence should have no credibility at all in the appeal court. You're welcome, Suncorp. (laughs) You heard it here first, as you would expect. Finally, Benice, we know there's an El Nino coming, but fears of a bad fire season just stepped up a notch. Yeah, so the Australasian Fire Authorities Council released its seasonal bushfire outlook for spring. So it's saying that we're probably having an earlier start to the high-risk fire season than expected. Um, climate influences have shifted since a year ago. So uh, many regions are seeing increased fuel load growth uh, due to the above-average rainfall from three years of La Nina. And so basically we're seeing elevated bushfire risk across parts of the country. So in New South Wales, uh, large parts of central and northern parts of the state are, are expected to see increased fire risk this spring. Uh, and then we're, we're also seeing uh, expected to see warmer and drier conditions. So, I mean, the, I guess the key question is, will it be as bad as the 2019-20 Black Summer? Um, it's a question that the AFAC keeps getting. And here's what Rob Webb, the CEO, has to say. Uh, it doesn't need to be a Black Summer to be dangerous. The fires in Greece, Canada, and of course, Maui are reminders of the dangers possibly heading Australia's way, and his advice was be prepared for it. Is it time to panic, John? Reminds me of Dad's army. Yeah, don't don't panic, don't panic Captain Mannering. Yeah, all that red on the map could be a bit panic-inducing, couldn't it? And uh, along with what's going on elsewhere in the world, as Benny says, I think what's happening in Canada is a, is a particular uh, case for concern. They just can't get 
a handle on the situation there. There are 600 fires out of control still, 14 million hectares burned, uh, and, and the forced evacuation of, of uh, Yellowknife, which apparently has a population of 20,000. Unprecedented gets overused as, as, as a word, but it definitely is that, what's going on in Canada at the moment. So if you think we could have something similar here then it is a worry i i suppose the the point is that we had our bad fire season a few years ago so that might save us this time but yeah nobody really knows today i think panic is is not going to help so the best thing we can do is is face up to the possibilities and prepare for them and uh, insurance is a big part of that perhaps john i should be asking is it time to mitigate and on that note that brings us to the end of this week's insight podcast by insurance news Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, Bernice Han, John Deeks, and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week, and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.